the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then. It is indeed Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're underway. It's a Wednesday. It's the 15th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And we've got a big program for you. We always have a big program for you, but today, uh, let me tell you about it. Coming up here in about a half an hour, we're going to check in with a reporter that we've spoken to before um, to discuss some of the coverage he has done for the Ohio Press Network. That's Jack Windsor's group. And um, he's now working for the Epic Times. He's a national reporter for the Epic Times, and he is covering very, very closely two things. Number one is the daily White House press briefings, which we'll talk about in a moment because there is a... Uh, there's a staggering statement that was made by Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre. Uh, uh, why do I want to say disability? Diversity. Diversity hire. Although she's disabled, too, so I guess that works. I call her KJPDH. That's Corinne Jean-Pierre, diversity hire, because that's exactly how she got her job. Anyway, he covers that, but he also is covering very closely the um, toxic train uh, wreck and the ongoing questions and concerns going on in East Palestine near the Pennsylvania border, as you know. Uh, it's a good thing he's covering it because the national news is not. 
because the White House is not, because they won't even declare a state of emergency, despite some potentially very, very dangerous things happening right now. And given the flow of what might be now a toxic Ohio River, yeah, this is a a real thing. Considering what might be a toxic Ohio River, this environmental and public health emergency which the the White House will not declare it, could expand into levels and to areas they had never even considered. This is now, what, 12 days on? And we are still trying to get some sort of an attention from the national, uh, from the national media and from the federal government. Mike DeWine and Ohio Department of Health Director Bruce Vanderhoff, they're speaking on it, and they appear to be clueless. And Jeff Lauterbach is all over it. He's going to join me at 9.35 to talk about it. Coming up at uh, 10.10 this morning, we are going to talk, excuse me, 10.35, beg pardon. We're going to talk with uh, Congressman Max Miller, Ohio 7. He is, of course, going to join us every uh, other week, twice a month. We're going to be checking in with him about what's going on in uh, Washington. I'll ask him if there is anything from the federal government happening with respect to East Palestine and so much more. Uh, We're also going to ask him about the J6 prisoners who continue to be held without any movement whatsoever, any advances toward their constitutional rights to a speedy trial, to uh, 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 meet with their counsel, and so forth. So we're going to talk to him about all of those things. Jack Windsor, the aforementioned Ohio Press Network founder, he'll be joining us at 1110 with some Statehouse stuff and some uh, highlights from our recent uh, showdown with Bill Seitz, Ohio State Representative Bill Seitz from Cincinnati, was on our Talking Smack with Bob and Jack a podcast this week. Maybe you watched it and or and or heard it. Um, it didn't go. It didn't go swimmingly for representative sites. Let's phrase it that way. I told him he was a trans dem directly to his face, and I told him that he and the rest of the twenty two were harming the state of Ohio in horrific ways, and that their partnership with the Democrats is unforgivable. He didn't like that. He blamed me personally for the entire state legislature being in the mess that it, the mess that it's in right now. <laughs> he literally said that. He said that's because of you. Uh, that didn't go well for Bill Seitz. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor about it, and he'll give us some highlights. That'll be coming up at 1110 today. So there you have it. Jeff Lauterbach, Max Miller, and Jack Windsor will be our guests. And, of course, I welcome you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. Now, before we get into the monologue for this morning, what do you say we don't put off the Pledge of Allegiance? Because a couple of times I've gotten it very late in the first half hour of the program, and some people think I'm going to forget it altogether. Those people might be right, because I'm ADHD to the hilt. So let's get this done right now. If you're a patriot, and if this matters to you, stand where you are. Face a flag if you have one nearby, and put your hand on your heart and join us if you don't feel that way, that's okay. Nobody is forcing you. As a matter of fact, if you are a believer in the Brandon administration and their ongoing denial of constitutional rights to American citizens, well, then that flag really doesn't mean much to you anyway. Therefore, don't fake it. You are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee where you're more comfortable next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty 
and justice for all. All right, nine fourteen. So I, I just have to get into this because it's just such a it's such a hilarious and an unironic comment from KJPDH. She said this without sarcasm. She said it with a modicum of sincerity. And and I, I'm still sitting here stunned that she actually said it yesterday. KJPDH <clears throat> was doing the press briefing yesterday, and um, she made a statement about her inability. Let's phrase it that way. Inability is that is that a fair way to say it? I suppose inability or her her struggle or whatever it is that you want to call it to articulate, if you will, from the podium uh, the things that uh, you know that she that she wants to say. And it's not always from the podium. I played this for you on uh, Monday because this was from Sunday's show on MSNBC that KJPDH was asked about the uh, and you realize why we call her diversity hire, right? Just to make sure you know. She's black and she's gay, and that's the reason they gave her the job. They kind of announced that when they did it. But on, on Sunday, she was on MSNBC, and this wasn't even a podium question where she could say or somebody could say, well, she just wasn't prepared. She didn't know she was going to be asked that question. She came on specifically to do an interview with this M- uh, MSNBC. Uh, Why is the American military? Not yet, not yet, not yet. This MSNBC hack to talk about the uh, the objects that are being shot down by the military. Uh, first, of course, the Canadian spy balloon that went all the way across the continental United States, much to the criticism of the uh, general public uh, of the Biden administration and the Pentagon, but then the three others that were shot down almost immediately. And she was asked particularly about, and she knew what she was going to be asked about, and she could not handle the question anyway. And um, she was asked about why we're shooting things down before they even get into American airspace, like the one over Canada. And this is what she said. Why is the American military shooting something out of the sky over Canada? Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a part of a, it's a it's a what you call a coalition, a consortium, a, 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 a so okay. exactly. And By the way, that wasn't edited. That was not a loop. We didn't like mismatch a whole bunch of bunch of her words together to make her sound like a babbling idiot when she doesn't know what to say. She really is a babbling idiot and didn't know what to say. Just so you know, that's unedited. Out of the sky over Canada. Because it's part of a NORAD. There is a, the NORAD is part of like a it, part of a it's a it's a what you call a coalition, a consortium, so a pact okay. exactly. And so that's why we were able to do that again. It, we didn't do it on our own. We did right. it in in uh, in uh, it, clearly in 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 step with uh, right. Canada. That wasn't edited either. We didn't throw an extra syllable in Canada and make it Canadia to make her look and sound stupid. She looked and sounded stupid all on her own. She has no idea what NORAD is. She doesn't know anything about North America. That's the reality of it. But that's only the backdrop for the story that I'm starting with because I'm just so baffled by this. And I'm also, quite frankly, as I said to you on Monday's program, concerned by this. I'm concerned by the fact that the press secretary, who is the spokesperson, the mouthpiece for the president of the United States, in other words, when he's not around to ask answer questions, she answers for him. So she spends time with him. They gather their, their talking points together. They decide what the answers to the tough questions are going to be. And then she goes out and speaks for the president of the United States. And she is simply and clearly the worst press secretary speaking for a president in the history of the White House. Maybe in the history of press secretaries. She's clueless. She's, she's baffled. She's confused. She reads out of a huge, thick binder. 
that, as I said before, is about the same thickness as a as a Manhattan phone book in the 1980s, pre-cell phone era. Um, she, she, she just can't do it. So as she stumbled and bumbled and mumbled through answers like that one, she was asked yesterday about um, being adept, if you will, about being adept in terms of communications. A reporter asked why uh, whether Biden is viewed by his team as being adept in communicating and why it is that there is such a hard time getting answers out of the White House on things like East Palestine and uh, and things like what's going on with the uh, 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 sovereign airspace over the United States, over the continental United States. And her response has gone viral because it is hilarious, and I want you to hear it now. Is it the view of the president's communications team that he is equally adept in all settings in terms of communications, or are there some that play to greater strengths, some where he probably isn't as strong, etc.? I will tell you this. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. Did you? Uh, some where he probably isn't as strong, etc. I will tell you this. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. Do you want to hear it again? I think we should hear tell it again. This the president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. Now, I want to remind you of the people that we have communicating in the White House. First of all, we have I am here standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. Okay, that's, that's one of the other members of the White House and her communication abilities. So when Karine Jean-Pierre Diversity Hire, who's black and gay, did you know that she was black and gay? You need to know that she's black and gay. When Karine Jean-Pierre Diversity Hire says that President Biden is the best communicator we have in the White House, it's not a deep pool, especially when you consider that he has been for 50 years a walking, talking gaffe machine. Literally, his entire career in the United States Senate, eight years as United States Vice President, now two years as President. This guy is the best communicator in the White House. This is the man who projects American strength and American power and American exceptionalism to the rest of the world. Look, John's last-minute economic plan does nothing to tackle the number one job facing the middle class. And it happens to be, as Barack says, a three-letter word, jobs, J-O-B-S, jobs. Chuck Graham, state senator's here. Chuck, stand up, Chuck, let him see you. Oh, God love you. What am I talking about? I tell you what, you're making everybody else stand up, though, pal. Thank you. As the same folks have made, the Somalis have made my city of Wilmington, Delaware, on a smaller scale. It's a large, very identifiable Somali community. I might add, if you ever come to the train station with me, you'll notice that uh, I have great relationships with them because 
There's an awful lot of driving cabs uh, and, uh, and are friends of mine, for real. But the Taoiseach knows a lot about it. His mom uh, lived in, uh, in Long Island for 10 years or so. Uh, God rest her soul. And uh, um, although she's, wait, your mom's still, your mom's still alive as your dad passed. God bless her soul. My son is attorney general a year in Iraq back and that's one of the things that he finds is was most in need when he was over there in Iraq for a year people would come to him and talk about what was happening at home in terms of foreclosures in terms of bad loans that were being I mean these Shylocks who took advantage of, uh, of these women and men by the way do you know the website you know, I'm embarrassed. You know the website number? I, uh, you know, I should have it in front of me, and I don't. I'm, I'm, All right. I'm actually embarrassed. I'm going to call your office well, directly, too, no, and get it, it later. It, 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 it is recovery.gov. One man stands ready to deliver change we desperately need. A man I'm proud to call my friend. A man who will be the next president of the United States, Barack America. I guarantee you, Barack Obama ain't taking my shotguns, so don't buy that malarkey. Don't buy that malarkey. They're gonna, they're gonna start peddling that to you. I got two. If he tries to fool my Beretta, he's got a problem. I like that little over and under. You know, I'm not bad with it. So give me a break. I would tell members of my family, and I have, I wouldn't go anywhere in confined places now. It's not that it's going to Mexico, it's you're in a confined aircraft. When one person sneezes, it goes all the way through the aircraft. You help one person at a time. And so my admiration for you is, is, is equally as deeply held by, uh, by a president. Stop moving that, 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 that uh, you know, uh, what, what's this thing called? You know, teleprompter. Barack always kids and he says, Joe Biden, I, I, he said, I'm learning to speak without a teleprompter. Joe's learning to speak with one. Neil Smith, an old butt buddy. Are you here, Neil? I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. Yeah. I'm a senior at the college, um, and I'm the vice president of the student body here. In a bitch. In Delaware, the largest growth in population is Indian Americans moving from India. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. So probably, I'm not joking. So Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here or walk out, put that double barrel shotgun and fire two blasts outside the house. I promise you, who's ever coming in is not going to... You don't need an AR-15. Let me tell you, I think I'm more in step with the lingo than any of them. Come on, man. Come on. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Rand is 14 million people. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Look me over. If you like me to see, help out. If not, both the other by... I'm the guy that came back after meeting with Deng Xiaoping and making the case that... I believe China would join if we put pressure on them. Nelson Mandela walked out of prison and entered into discussions about apartheid. I had the great honor of meeting him. I had the great honor of being arrested with our UN ambassador on the streets of Soweto trying to get to see him on Robbins Island. Why am I stopping? You, no one else stops. Sometimes I wake up and I think it's 1920, not 2020. Who in God's name needs 100 rounds in a bullet, in a clip with a gun you have? 
Now, I can get that done on health care by building on Obamacare with a Biden Medicare option in it. I can do this in terms of Ebola. I mean, excuse me, in terms of dealing with the issues that relate to what we put together. Look, John's last. And friends, you need to know something here. This is one of many gaff montages we have locked and loaded right here on AM 1420, The Answer. That is just one of many gaff montages from the man that Corrine Jean-Pierre, diversity hire, went before the media yesterday and told the media was and is the best communicator they have. Is it the only isn't it strong I will tell you this. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. And that's why we're so terrified. It's 927, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, let's uh, turn our attention away now at 937 from the embarrassment of the White House that we just played for you. Uh, And let's talk about the embarrassment of the response from the White House and from the rest of the federal government, from FEMA, from the EPA, from the Transportation Department. And yes, let's also talk about the failure of response of any significance. Uh, and any uh, semblance of honesty from the state of Ohio, from Governor Mike DeWine, and from the health director, Bruce Vanderhoff. Let's talk about what's really happening in East Palestine as a an environmental and health disaster is forming. Uh, it may already be formed and on its way. Joining us now to help get some coverage from this, or of this, I should say, that we're not getting from the national media, is uh, our friend Jeff Lauterbach. Now, Jeff Lauterbach, last time I spoke with him, he was representing Jack Windsor's Ohio Press Network and does a phenomenal job and did then. He now represents the Epic Times. He's a national reporter for the Epic Times based in the Cincinnati and Dayton area, but, yes, he is covering East Palestine, Ohio, right now. Jeff, good to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, Bob. Yes, sir. It's uh, it's good to have you. I wish we had something a little bit more lighthearted to discuss than potential environmental disasters that are going to affect the health of the people in East Palestine and perhaps a lot further than that into other areas of Ohio because of uh, of contaminated water flowing through the Ohio River and, and even into Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh is on high alert now as well. Jeff, from all of your coverage, and I've been monitoring it on Facebook, um, give us the current lay of the land. What are we, 12 days on now from that crash and then the controlled burn? Give us uh, the, the current situation as you understand it. Well, I am. Um, actually, I, I cover the White House for the Epic Times, and I'm in Washington a couple times a month. And um, But uh, earlier this week, they moved me to this because of the high priority. Uh, what February 3rd is when the derailment and the spill and the controlled burden happen and mm-hmm. um a lot of people i'm here i've been here for a couple of days and i'm talking to a lot of residents about their concerns about what's what's going on right now with the response but also the long-term response and, and their concerns because they don't know what's going to happen with their soil with uh the water. Uh, I talked to a woman and her husband who have a homestead. They have 30 acres just outside of East Palestine, and um, most of those acres are wooded. They homestead about three acres. They have goats and chickens, and they have a large garden. 
and she was telling me that uh, she doesn't know if she can even eat the eggs. She doesn't know if the chickens are going to live. They're alive right now, but she doesn't know the long-term effects. The goats are pregnant. She doesn't know if that it's uh, you know the to- to- the toxic chemicals are going to affect um, that and the milk. So people are just uh, really concerned about uh, what they don't know months and years from now, much less uh, right now. Yeah, um, that's that is obviously something that's going to have to play itself out. And are you confident from what you're rec- uh, discovering and reporting on right now, Jeff Lauterbach, um, that the people are going to get the honest truth about whether or not their long-term futures may be impacted based on soil contamination, based on water contamination, based on air contamination as a result of this? And the reason I ask that is we seem to have some messaging coming from the uh, uh, Ohio Department of Health that is that is very concerning. Bruce Vanderhoff, the health director, literally said, "Ah, if you're getting headaches, it's probably just uh, something else. You might have the flu or something." Don't what do you mean? What do you what do you mean? You think it's from the toxic cloud that has been uh, uh, hovering over this area for the better part of the last two weeks? You know, you get the same kind of fumes when you pump your gas at the gas pump. If it gives you a headache, it's no big deal. They seem to be minimizing. Uh, Mike DeWine, the governor, asked yesterday about this, if he would drink the water near East Palestine right now. And he said, well, I would drink bottled water. And for the rest, I guess you should just wait and see what the rest of the the, the uh, water quality and the air quality tests show. It doesn't seem like they know what the hell they're doing, is my point here, Jeff. How do you see that? Well, obviously, I'm just reporting what's happening at the scene. And uh, it's hard to get, uh, I mean, the EPA, the state of Ohio, uh, local officials uh the the white house it's hard to get a clear response i don't think they even know what is really going on as far as they don't know the long-term effects the residents uh they they haven't had they want their food tested their water tested they haven't had many answers i actually i was surprised i got here actually yesterday morning Mm -hmm. and i i have a respirator and a uh safety goggles and i went on the scene i didn't think i was going to be able to get on the scene but those photos you saw and um in a couple of my articles yeah i just walked right up and i was right in the midst of everything all the uh the freight cars on the sides of the tracks all the uh the heavy equipment uh doing the the recovery work and no uh workers were wearing um any PPE, which is surprising because they found, I mean, you know, by now, uh, four toxic chemicals spilled. Yep. So uh, I, I can't speak intelligently as far as uh, knowing the effects or what even experts are saying because there's been minimal information. And I don't think even they know, but I think it's common sense that uh, there could be some lingering effects, not just short term, but long term yeah and not and not we're talking to jeff lauterbach who a national reporter for the epic times who is in east palestine covering uh the after effects of this train derailment uh, that led to the explosion of course and then the controlled burn of these very toxic chemicals that many people are concerned so jeff the reports are dead animals in the area the reports are thousands of dead fish in the stream where from which uh, they get their water supply uh and then obviously people are complaining of headaches and people are complaining of breathing problems and as I said a few minutes ago, I'm very critical of the fact that this burgeoning environmental disaster 
isn't getting coverage by the national media. I'm looking at CNN.com right now. The only mention of East Palestine on their entire homepage is the cause of the crash. And the NTSB says uh, videos of the Ohio train derailment include one showing a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure. Nothing on the environment. Nothing on what's being done uh, to the water, air, and, and soil there and how that can impact the people. Now, these are the same people that are constantly beating the climate change drum. Um, so let me ask you, you're on point there. Do you see any national reporters besides Epic Times, besides you? Are there any, is there anybody there actually paying any attention to this that you're able to observe? Uh, yesterday when I was running around town and I'm about to go, I'm outside of East Palestine right now and I have some interviews set up with residents today and mm-hmm. then there's a town hall meeting tonight. I would think that there'd be a lot of national media there, but I really just saw, uh, I, I talked to a reporter and a photographer from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Um, that's about it. Uh, as far as media, I haven't ran into any fellow uh, national media outlets. Uh, I think it do you is find starting that, to do you get find a lot that of interesting? Uh, do you find that interesting? Do you find that? I mean, Epic Times saw fit to send you and get a firsthand look at this whole thing. And I'm just curious, you know, CNN with their massive budget, uh, you know, MSNBC, the networks, I cannot believe the Epic Times finds this worthy of coverage. And they send you, and you're doing a great job. And then these massive national outlets don't see an environmental catastrophe not only in the making but in progress uh, worthy of, of coverage for their uh, you know for their viewers around the country. Yeah, well, we have 1.2 million readers, and um, th- this is a topic of interest. We, I mean, I'm here on the ground. I'm not the only reporter covering it, though. We have uh, uh, three people on our team who are are covering it, and but yeah, I've I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, of coverage. I've, I think you're going to start seeing more and more, though, because. Um, they have the town hall tonight, and and they're starting starting to get a lot more attention. As far as going back to the dead animals, I haven't seen that yet, but I I was directed to a couple places to have dead fish that I'm going to visit a little bit later this afternoon to see if that's true. But even if the animals aren't the the animals who are alive, like the woman I talked to yesterday, they don't know what the long term effects are going to be, or if you can eat. Like if you can eat the cows, if you could eat the meat chickens, if you could have the eggs from the mm-hmm. uh, chickens, if you could have the goat milk, uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever type of animal it is. That that's, I think, a, an, addition, an additional concern is what's going to happen months and years down the road. Yeah, uh, that that is a concern. And speaking of the animals, too, one of the other things that I did see, uh, um, and I can't remember which station, you know, again, I want to be clear, Ohio news media is doing a little bit with this. Uh, but like I said, nationally is where my, my criticism comes from. And the fact that the transportation secretary hasn't shown up from the federal government and the fact that there hasn't been an, uh, 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 an emergency declared. Um, by the White House. Uh, those things bother me. But one thing I did see, and I can't remember which uh, uh, network reported it or which uh, Ohio station reported it, is people are concerned about their pets, that their animals are having all kinds, their dogs uh, particularly, who are outside and, uh, you know, sniffing on the ground and breathing this stuff in and maybe drinking water, that they're having problems uh, with their with their, uh, with their their behavior, with their stomachs. They're not eating. They're having uh, uh, gastrointestinal th- in- intestinal things. Uh, they're lethargic. They're laying around as if they're 
ill. Now, these again, this is just something I saw on a on an Ohio TV uh, thing. So, is there anything you can find out? Do you think about how this is impacting domestic animals, not just the farm animals? Well, today I have, as I mentioned, I have several interviews with residents, and I know a couple of them have told me that they've had issues with their they have symptoms, and the their dogs have symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll find out more today. But yeah, I've heard that too, and I think that is credible. I do think there have been some animal. I think that's a not a myth. I think uh, some livestock has died and. Um, we're not just talking about East uh, Palestine. We're talking about the maybe 20, 30-mile radius. And then later, over the next week, because I live in in between Cincinnati and Dayton, mm-hmm. my next uh, project for this is going along the Ohio River Scenic Byway and from Cincinnati uh, all around up to back up here and going to see the impact on communities because – even down where we are in Cincinnati, uh, near the Ohio River, there's water issues already. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Jeff. We're talking to Jeff Lauterbach, if you just came in. Uh, Jeff is uh, covering the East Palestine uh, environmental disaster caused by that train wreck 12 days ago now. It was back on February 3rd. He's doing this for the Epic Times. Um Two quick follows, or, or final questions, I guess I should say, is one, what where did they come up with the potential 20, 25, 30-mile radius that this might impact? I did see a segment on Fox this morning. Fox is covering it, by the way. Like when I say when I say national news is not covering it, I don't mean all of them, but uh, the the you know most of them. But Fox talked about the fact that the con- contamination of the streams and the groundwater there could impact the Ohio River, and that the Ohio River, of course, if you just follow the flow where that goes, we could be talking about a very very uh, wide-ranging problem if the water is toxic. And again, Governor DeWine said yesterday he wouldn't drink it. He would tell everybody to drink bottled water until they're told otherwise. So if that toxic water in East Palestine is Palestine, excuse me, is uh, you know <laughs> is being carried elsewhere, I mean, this could be a, a very far, wide-ranging disaster, couldn't it? Exactly, because the Ohio River spills into other uh, waterways and. Um, as I mentioned, I'm going to be looking into the Ohio River situation over the next uh, week and, and two weeks. Uh, the 25, 30 mile radius that isn't official. That's just uh, something I said as far as with uh, people who've responded to me, uh, who I'm talking to today. Some of them live in East Palestine, and some of them live within 20 and 30 miles, and they've reported uh, those issues, whether they have their own symptoms or their dogs or. Um, someone, someone has some issues with their. I think their rabbits died. So, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's not. My point is, it's not not just affecting East Palestine around here. It's affecting surrounding communities, but also to your point, beyond where I, you know, Cincinnati is what I think uh, 250 miles from here around. Mm-hmm. Right. And even beyond that, obviously, we're not too far from Pittsburgh here, so. Uh, oh, it yeah. affects that, but it affects way beyond, uh, you know, the, the Mississippi River as well. Um, there's, it's just a wide-ranging. And then you talk about the air. That it's it's really windy here today, but the wind has uh, blown these chemicals east. From what yeah, I understand, the, the westerly winds that go west to east, uh, which is kind of like our weather pattern. That's that's exactly right. That's why I read yesterday that Pittsburgh is on high alert. 
because uh, they're not that far. And when the winds blow, whatever this toxicity is that way, you know, they, they literally have to be testing testing air quality there as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you're going. It, it's not just something that is. Uh, I was talking to a guy who he has cardinal welding. Uh, him and his brother. And he was on a project in New York and got a call, I think it was February 3rd, saying, uh, you guys have a fire right across from your shop, because they're located right across from where the derailment happened. And then, like, a little bit later, it was he, he was alerted about the derailment, and then he was alerted about the chemical spill, and then the controlled burn. So <laughs> at first, uh, you know, it, it seemed like a minor incident, and then uh, obviously it wasn't, so... Those businesses, um, they, they've had a lot of impact as well as far as uh, employees are at first were reluctant to come back, but they're fine now. But then their business is disrupted like, disrupted like this uh, welding company that has clients all around the country. Right. Well, I'll be interested to follow and read and watch any uh, interviews that you're able to conduct with residents there and business owners and hopefully school officials and so on to find out what their plan is going forward uh, and how they can ensure the safety of the uh, of the residents and the students and so forth there. The last question I had for you, Jeff Lauterbeck, is uh, who is hosting this town hall tonight? What is the, uh, uh, what's, what's the situation that you can tell us about there? It's at uh, East Palestine High School, and I'm trying to find out, I, I guess, I've been told the format has changed. It was going to be a town hall, and now there are going to be different uh, stations where residents could ask questions. So um, I'm trying to, to find this, out more about that. Is this being hosted think, by like, the state, or who, who's, who's, like, who's responsible? Is it the state? Is it East Palestine officials? Or who's actually responsible for the event, whatever it's going to be, look like? Well, uh, East Palestine officially, but uh, the EPA will be there, from what I understand, the state um and some other organizations so it's uh resident residents are going to be there to ask questions and try try to get answers and i'm looking forward to it because i haven't been able to hardly make contact with uh officials so uh hoping that they uh provide some clarity so that that'll be interesting i imagine it might get kind of contentious. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You're, you're, of course it may. It, you know, we're talking about some very serious stuff here, and not a lot of answers have been forthcoming. So it, uh, I can imagine it will be contentious. Jeff Lauterbach, uh, covering on the scene in East Palestine for the Epic Times. Make sure you follow his work there at Epic Times. And, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your reporting on this, and uh, we'll look forward to following up with you to see what we see. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. That's Jeff Lauterbach uh, from East Palestine, live in at East Palestine, not from there. You understand the point. Uh, coming up, we've got, well, we've got nothing at 1010. I was about to say we have Max Miller, but that's not till 1035. So 1035 is Max Miller. So coming up after the top of the hour news, we'll open up the phone lines, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. And I'll ask you this very simple question. How concerned are you about the environmental impact, the water, air, and ground or soil quality in East Palestine and how it could impact you. I want, to answer, I want you to answer that question at 216-901-0945. Right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. 
Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. I want to ask you a very simple question as we start hour number two this morning at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. It's a Wednesday. It's the 15th morning of the second month, year of our Lord 2023. And um, the, the question is, is, do you trust your government in any way, shape, or form when it comes to your health? We're looking at an environmental and thus potentially a health catastrophe as a result of that toxic chemical spill because of the train derailment and then the controlled burn, which sent the fumes uh, high into the sky to be blown by the winds all over you know, the area in East Palestine. And we have government that seems to be shrugging their shoulders, an Ohio health director that said, eh, if you're getting headaches, it's probably just you know something something else, because these fumes are no different than the fumes you get when you pump your gas. You ever you ever smell the fumes when you're pumping your gas? It'll give you a little lightheaded. That's all this is, no big deal. Mike Dewine asked directly by a reporter yesterday, "Would you drink the water out there? Somebody hand you a glass of water from the tap in East Palestine?" He said, "I drink bottled water." But as far as the air, well, we'll just have to wait and see what the, what the tests show when they come back. Federal government, transportation secretary, because this was a transportation-generated disaster because it was a train derailment, waited 10 full days to even address it. Still hasn't been there. President of the United States, not even talking about it, much less declaring it a, an emergency thus providing federal funds from FEMA to help clean this mess up and study very, very carefully the quality of the water and the air and so on and so forth. Do you trust your government when it comes to your health? Let me give you another question, another example along the same lines. Yesterday... We got a report, no, beg pardon, this was uh, Monday. We got a report from the CDC or about the CDC about masks. Remember the face masks that they continued to make us wear, the face diapers, despite the fact that the only randomized controlled studies of face masks showed they were useless against coronavirus. Useless. They would have to be, like, hermetically sealed on your cheeks and your nose and under your chin to stop things from getting in or your breath from coming out. And even if, it, even if they did seal it along your, your face, um, the cloth and the surgical masks that people were wearing and many continue to wear, uh, the, the, the holes, if you will, in them, the mesh style of them, allow the coronavirus uh, particles to get through it anyway. It was it was useless. We knew it was useless, but they continued to tell us this will keep you safe. Wear your masks. Wear them in public. Wear them in private. Wear them indoors. Wear them outdoors. If you don't put one on, you must leave. Well, just Monday we got this. The stance by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on face masks has taken many twists and turns throughout the COVID pandemic after initially claiming face coverings weren't necessary. Fauci the CDC changed course in April of 2020, saying everyone, even children as young as two years old, put that mask on. 
That September, the CDC director, Robert Redfield at the time, said during a Senate hearing that face masks are the most important, powerful health tool we have, even suggesting they might offer more protection than the vaccines themselves, which, of course, we know the profit jabs didn't work. But staying on the focus of the masks here, those recommendations from our CDC played a huge part in 39 U.S. states eventually acting mask mandates. And now... As of Monday, a new report, a scientific review led by 12 researchers from esteemed universities around the globe, are reporting that widespread masking did little to nothing to curb the transmission of COVID-19. Now they tell us they were useless. Published by the Cochrane Library, the review dug into the findings of 78 randomized controlled trials to determine whether physical interventions including face masks and hand-washing, lessened the spread of respiratory viruses. The new scientific review suggests widespread masking had little to no effect in curbing the transmission. When comparing the use of the medical or surgical masks to wearing no masks, the review found that wearing a mask will make little to no difference on how many people caught a flu-like illness or COVID-like illness. Nine studies... 276,917 people in the studies. That's not a small sample size. That's a massive randomized controlled study. And they found that the masks made little to no difference in the number of people who got flu or COVID confirmed by laboratory tests. They compared medical and surgical masks to the N95 respirators or P2 respirators as well and found that wearing the N95 or P2 respirators probably makes little to no difference in how many people have confirmed flu and how many, uh, and it may make little to no difference in how many people catch a flu-like illness or respiratory illness like COVID. Again, we're talking thousands and thousands of participants in this randomized controlled study on masks. 78 different studies looking at participants from countries of all income levels so that they could really do an apples-to-apples comparison. The data was gathered, and now the results are being reported. And what does the CDC say? The CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, told Congress its guidance and advice on masking, particularly of children, will never change. Our masking guidance will never change, even though the science is in that says the science or the masks don't work. So I believe you're referring to the Cochrane Review study. This is an important study, but the Cochrane Review only includes randomized clinical trials. And as you can imagine, many of the randomized clinical trials that were included in that were for other respiratory viruses, not COVID-19. Some of them were for COVID-19, just to be clear. But it is very different for COVID-19 because you have a a pre-virus that... A different from flu, potentially different from SARS or MERS, transmits before you actually have symptoms. So, it's also the case that the, one of the limitations in that study was clearly stated that um, people were not actually engaged in the intervention. So you actually have to wear the mask okay. for it to work. Okay. So there Dr. are lots Walensky. of studies now. They studied people wearing masks and wearing them all the time compared to people who did not wear the masks. That was the nature of the study, Rochelle. 
Oh, in Georgia. Dr. Walensky, why are we masking our kids today? You know, thank you. Also, so our guidance um, for school-based masking is related to our COVID-19 community levels. Unfortunately, we're in a place now in this country where most of our country is in green or yellow, um, has uh, lower um, low or moderate transmission or COVID-19 community levels. And in those situations, we actually don't recommend masking. We recommend it for high COVID-19 community so, levels. So what is your timeline for... I'm just going to stop again and ask the obvious question. What the living hell are you forcing masks on children for? The science says the masks don't work. They don't stop it. And it's not just the Cochrane study that we're talking about here. We're talking about other randomized controlled studies, the only ones that have ever ever been conducted on these either cloth or these uh, these surgical or, or medical masks. They don't work. They can't work. The, the virus particles are too small. They go right through the cloth and right through the medical masks. Those masks were never intended to stop airborne viruses. Those masks were intended to stop liquid. Those masks were intended to stop people from, from spittling on other people when they speak or for surgeons when they're over an open cavity in somebody's chest so that they don't, they don't actually drool or, or, or have spit or have sweat or whatever uh, drip into their back. These medical masks were never meant to stop airborne viruses. And this has been proven in every single randomized controlled study that has been done. And so uh, um, Representative Rogers asking Rochelle Walensky here, why are you masking our kids? The masks don't work. And they double down. We're updating, reevaluating these guide guidance. You know, our masking guidance doesn't really change um, with time. What it changes with is disease. So when there's a lot of disease in a community, we recommend that those communities and those schools mask. When there's less disease in the community, we recommend that those masks can come off. So. Even if the masks don't stop said disease. You see what I'm saying here? I don't trust the state government of Ohio. I don't trust. Remember Amy Acton? Replaced now by Bruce Vanderhoff, who's no better. The Ohio Directors of Health. I don't trust the state of Ohio's government. I don't trust the federal government. I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust the NIH. I don't trust Dr. Fauci. I don't trust any one of these individuals that they really have your and my health in their best interest. They do not have our health. They have CYA cover your ass on their minds. That's it. And all we can do is is virtue signal our way out of this. Put on your mask. Keep your distance. Stay home. Put on your mask. Keep your distance. Get the shot. Then they can say we did everything we could to stop it and it was and and, and 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 therefore don't blame us for it. It's virtue signaling and they know full well the 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 uh, shots were not effective and safe and the masks were not effective at stopping or or slowing the spread, neither was distancing, neither was keeping people at home. They failed at every single level of the response to the coronavirus and now they're being called out on it. Um, in the Congress, because the Republicans got control of the Congress and the committees, that's how they're able to call these people and actually hold these hearings. But they're getting called out on it now, and the sad reality is there will be no accountability. 
I don't trust the government with anything having to do with my health, and I want to know if you do. 216-901-0945. I don't even know if I trust my doctors anymore because they are so, many of them are so um, influenced and intimidated by federal government uh, grants. They're so influenced by the money they receive from the government, they'll do and say whatever the hell the government tells them. Why do you think that medical uh, examiners... The ones that do autopsies, the one that determine causes of death, will not come forward and say, died of, a, of myocarditis, uh, an enlargement of the heart, and a massive cardiac response to a shot. Why do you think they won't say it out loud? Because the government will pull their grants. The government won't fund them one iota. They're terrified. I will, I'll just tell you point blank. I think we are responsible for our own health more now than ever before. If you are going to be your own best advocate for your health, if you just take one of these doctors at their words, and if, certainly if you take anybody associated with the government, state or federal, at their words, and knowing that they are controlled and owned by the big pharmaceutical companies that are making trillions, trillions of dollars off of this, if you trust them, you're just asking for a one-way ticket to the grave. And I'm not trying to be morbid, and I'm not trying to be alarmist, but I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed. You better advocate for yourself, and you better find somebody you can trust, because you cannot trust these people. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll be back. Okay, 1026. Um, so I got a text message from Tom Z, Tom Zawistowski, about a half an hour ago that said, hey, you know, Bernie Moreno was in East Palestine yesterday. I told him to call you and tell you, uh, tell, uh, tell you what he saw there. And I said, boy, that'd be great. And look at this. Lo and behold, what do I have now? Bernie Moreno is indeed on the line. Bernie is, of course, a former candidate for the Republican, uh, or excuse me, in the Republican primary for the Senate, the very, very big race. Uh, he is uh, obviously an extremely successful businessman, and uh, he's now going to be a reporter for us and tell us what he saw in East Palestine yesterday. Bernie, thank you for coming on. How are you? I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you very much. You yeah. know, like, like you, like, like all your listeners, when seeing what's going on in East Palestine, I wanted to go there and see it for myself. You know, that's one of the things I did in business is I didn't like to sit in my office and hear about problems. I wanted to go see what was actually happening. And did, uh, did you did you or do you have relatives or friends? Do you know anybody out there, or was this just concerned citizen? I'm going to go see. I have a lot of friends in Columbana County. None, uh, none specifically in that township, but a lot of friends in that area. Plus, you're just very concerned. I mean, it's Ohio. Uh, talking about pollutants going to the Ohio River. This cloud, you know, was being talked about miles away. And, you know, I live not too far from there in northeast Ohio. So just wanted to see what was really happening on the ground. So tell me what you, uh, what, what your eyes observed. So my, uh, what, what I observed was uh, a, a lot of first responders doing great work. So a lot of people doing a lot of things. You know, it's a strong Republican county with great Republican officials. And uh, these guys are just working their tails off. Guys and gals working their tails off. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of water testing. I talked to a lot of the citizens there. I went to the cafe. Talked to a few of the people who live right near the crash site. Uh, they seem to be getting their absolutely. The local officials have done their work. Uh, I think what what I didn't observe was a lot of any basically federal presence. Uh, you know, people just talking about having white construction workers as the problem that we have in our country and not 
paying attention to this at all. And so that was evident is that there's just a complete lack of federal leadership. But honestly, I got to tell you that the state, the state, and the local government have done a really good job. And it seems like they've, they've got the town and the situation under control. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because I was watching a Fox News report this morning, and uh, there are some serious questions that they were raising about how how under control this is, given the fact that we're talking about waters uh, and tributaries and streams that uh, spill into the Ohio River. And then, of course, the Ohio River, we know how far that goes all the way to the Mississippi, and that if there is toxicity, and they're talking about things that I've read, not seen, thousands of dead fish indicating that the water is very, very toxic. And um, uh, even Governor Mike DeWine, when asked yesterday if he would drink the water there, he said, no, I would drink bottled water, and I would advise other people to do that too. If the water is contaminated, I don't know what it takes to clean up something like that, particularly if, if and when it spills into something as large as the Ohio River. No, absolutely. And what I observed was uh, uh, the uh, at least six different environmental companies working. None of them had hazmat suits on, none of them had masks, none of them had gloves. So it seems uh, that they, the first responders who do this for a living, were not concerned. Uh, But they were rerouting water streams, and they were installing filters, and they were doing an enormous amount of testing, which what one of the gentlemen told me that was there on site is that they'll be doing this kind of testing for years to come just to monitor it and have that data. But I asked them a simple question about it. You know, these, again, this is a worker bee, not not the supervisor or somebody who has an agenda. I got. You. I said, hey, on a, on a on a scale of this is normal, completely abnormal, or you know, below normal. He says, where is this? He goes, this is pretty standard. Obviously, it's a tragedy. He's a guy who sees tragedies for a living, but he didn't seem overly alarmed, which made me feel good because obviously, what we don't want is the people there to suffer. Uh, but what I did, I can tell you, that I would encourage your listeners to do is go to the local restaurant, get gas at the local gas station. Uh, you know, these people need to get their lives back. And what we don't want to do is create a situation where uh, we treat East Palestine as, uh, you know, a death zone and uh, these people suffer economically. So I think we we can pray for them and hope that they do well and, uh, and, and hope that we have a federal government soon that doesn't, uh, ignore places like East Palestine. Yeah, that, there you go. I think that hits it hard right there. Yeah, the federal government needs to respond and needs to respond appropriately here. And there is a fine line between working on the economy there and making sure the people there uh, don't starve out in this situation, but also making sure that it is a safe place to be and that uh, returning from evacuation and that people coming through are feeling safe to be there. And uh, there's a fine line there. And I think only more coverage and more honest, legitimate reporting on this is what's going to uh, is what's going to make the difference here. But, Bernie, I'm glad you went out there. It's a, it's a great thing as just a concerned citizen. you got people you know out there in Columbiana County. I appreciate you doing it, and I appreciate you calling us and telling us what you find. If you do find out anything new, by the way, we'd love to hear it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank, thank you, Bernie Moreno, former uh, Senate candidate, joining us on AM 1420 The Answer. We'll take a time out here. Bottom of the hour news is here. Max Miller, Ohio congressman or congressman from Ohio 7. He'll be joining us on AM 1420 The Answer. and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1037. Thanks again to um, 
Bernie Moreno for chiming in. He went down to visit and uh, see what was going on in East Palestine for himself. He said he has a lot of friends in uh, Columbiana County there, so he was checking it out. He says it's not as bad, at least by his own observation, as it appears to be, or it appears to be in some of the coverage. Uh, but, of course, we don't know about the long-term effects. And we also don't know how widespread those effects will be felt, given the fact that contaminated water can indeed be spread to other parts of the state. And, quite frankly, when you're looking at the Ohio River and where it feeds um, to other parts of the country. So uh, we do have a lot to talk about there. And uh, I want to bring in uh, our next guest. Max Miller is Ohio's 7th District Congressman, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Representative Miller, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Thanks, Bob. I'm doing well. Uh, it's good to be back home for a long time. I'd rather be here in Cleveland than back in the swamp from time to time dealing with those animals. So glad to talk to you and glad to be home. How long does it take to shower off the filth? <laughs> you know, usually I just come home and I grab a Brillo pad and a box of tissues because that's <laughs> what it really takes to get all the nastiness off of the body from the swamp coming back into clean in Cleveland. And not joking, so... Are you? Are, I know this is really just off the cuff because I was playing off of your comment there, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You're very, very short. You know, very short period, uh, uh, period of time that you've been there. Are you finding it to be what you expected it to be, or is it worse in terms of, you know, what you've been able to observe, what you've been able to learn? You are in a learning curve right now, of course, as a freshman. But is it is it what you thought it would be, or better or worse? You know, my perspective on this, I believe, is a little bit different. And it's not because I'm special. Um, no one is, for that matter. But being at the White House for four years and then taking a breather for two and then now being a member of the House of Representatives, I can tell you one thing, and that's I fundamentally believe that the executive branch has too much power. And it's something that we need to look into Congress on how to limit the executive power of the president. And I believe this president is really, you know, going under the Dick Cheney doctrine, which is presidents can do whatever the heck that they want without being held accountable. And what we're seeing right now from this administration is they are withholding information to the American people and from Congress. Yesterday, you saw the senators come out of their briefing, and they said this is a complete joke. In Congress and in the House of Representatives, we also had a briefing over the phone. That's not sensitive. That's not classified. That is just happy crap that they want to you know, say, okay, we've briefed every member of the House of Representatives, so now you can go home to your constituency and you can tell them what we just told you. Well, unfortunately, Bob, what they told us is nothing. They told us absolutely nothing. So when constituency, you know, when everyone asks, hey, Max, what are, you know, what are they telling you about these UFOs? What are they telling you about these train derailments across the country? They're telling us nothing. And it's on purpose. I fundamentally believe they're withholding this information from the American people, even though every American by this point has had some type of visual on a UFO, and have definitely seen these train derailments within our country, and they've yet to comment on it. And they've yet to read in members of Congress, both Senate and the House of Representatives, into what is really happening into our country. I fear that this man is using disinformation to continue to pull the wool over the American people's eyes, and this country is now burning because of it. And it's incredibly upsetting to see, and that's why I'm glad that we're there. And that's why we've done things like establish the Frank Church Committee, to look into the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI and Biden himself and his entire family that's crime-ridden. These are the things that we're going to be uncovering and finally holding this administration accountable and getting the truth to Ohio 7, the rest of the state of Ohio and the entire country. 
Max Miller is uh, is our guest. Uh, boy, uh, it sounds like you had a lot of that pent up and ready to explode, so I'm glad I asked. Uh, and I don't blame you because I completely concur. Um, there is. I think there's a shell game going on here, and a lot of other people feel the same way. They want you to look over here and not over there, and then uh, when you turn away, they're, they're, they're moving the, you know, the ball, if you will. Um, and, and so what, what do you believe is their top priority here? Uh, as we see these train derailments, we see, I think yesterday in Houston, it was, a it was a tractor trailer with toxic chemicals that uh, overturned on a highway in Houston, uh, which shut down traffic. I think it was in Houston. No, that was where the train was. Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was Arizona. Big part. It was Tucson. Yeah. It was Tucson. We had that, 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 um, so we're having a whole bunch of these like toxic chemical quote unquote accidents all happening at the same time. We're seeing massive, you know, railway disasters. Meanwhile, we've got our sovereign airspace being violated. We're shooting things down before we can even determine what they are, or we're just not going to tell people what they are if we do know because the people don't have a right to know. So as they play this shell game, they have us looking over here but not there, and over there but not here. What do you think they're trying to get away with? The president. President Biden is telling us what his priorities are. I've been spouting off on it on Facebook, Twitter, social media platforms and events that we go to throughout the district while we're home. And that is, you know, he wants to knock down junk fees and he wants to focus on things like that to distract the American people from what really is happening. We saw it in his State of the Union speech as he continued to contradict himself. And and, and last time I was on your show, I I said this, I'm going to say it again. But in the beginning of his speech, he said, you know, this country has seized more fentanyl than ever before in its history. And then 30 minutes later, we hit the fast forward button. And then he says, but more Americans are dying of fentanyl overdose than in this country's history ever before. I mean, the man continues to contradict himself based off of his own policies that his administration continues to push throughout our country. They're focused on things in, in terms of being woke. They're focused on ESG. They're focused on how to turn our kids and our education systems. This is what is happening. They are not focused. Once again, Biden is not focused on the border. He's not focused on the economy, supply chain issues, things that actually matter to the American people. But he'll tell you that he can go save you, you know, thousands of dollars from junk fees. I'm not an idiot. Neither are the American people. They're going to make the junk fees up and, and having you pay more for the food that you're going to the resort. They're going to have to raise the prices on your hotel room. They're also going to have to do the same thing on airline fare. This is just gimmicky messaging to continue to tell the American people that we are in a rosy economy when inflation is still above 6%. This man is the liar-in-chief. He cannot be described any other way who wants the American people to take their eyes off of our priorities and focus on junk fees. I mean, this guy is out in left field all by himself, and he has no idea where the ball is coming to him, and he misses it every single time. At this point, it's just sad and it's incredibly disturbing that our kids and us are going to be the ones paying for this in the future. We're talking to uh, Ohio Congressman Max Miller on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Congressman Miller is going to be with us twice a month with updates on what's going on on Capitol Hill, what's going on here in Ohio and in his district as well. I do want to go north of the state line, though, to ask you about this next question, and that is the uh, uh, terrible tragedy. Obviously, it's terrible when anyone dies, and particularly in an act of violence, but they're calling it, of course, gun violence at Michigan State. It's not just violence. It's got to be gun violence. And... Um, 
literally they hadn't identified anything before they immediately started calling for more red flag laws and wanting uh, calling for a ban on assault weapons. They they politicize these terrible tragedies every single time, and usually they at least wait and spend a little bit of time on the victims before they go making their political statements. But not yesterday uh, and uh, and Monday. So we've been watching this terrible thing play out. Uh, what are your thoughts on the ongoing demonization of the weapon rather than talking about what is causing people to commit these violent acts? Yeah, I just want to start off by saying my heart and prayers continue to go out to the entire Michigan State community and the families involved in that terrible tragedy. But this is what Democrats do. The Democrats in the media, they rush for, you know, call for firearm restrictions without any clear motive on terrible tragedies, and they don't have a way forward. I mean, right now, it is going to be a felony for a veteran or any other disabled individual to have a stabilizing brace on your, on your arm just so you can maintain proper control of the weapon. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do about obtaining a firearm legally. Let's just walk through the facts. We know that this 43-year-old man, he never attended Michigan State or he never worked at the school, and the motive of the crime is still being investigated. We know that he has been convicted, not convicted, but let go in 2019 for illegal possession of a firearm. We're talking about the state of Michigan that implements one of the toughest gun restrictions in our entire country. This has nothing to do with obtaining a firearm legally. A Second Amendment right is something that every American deserves to have, and I will always stand strong to protect that. Because, you know, going back just a little bit into my family's history, when we lost, you know, members in the Holocaust, we didn't have weapons to fight back, Bob. We didn't have an opportunity to face an oppressive government who was going to barrel down and put my family in cattle cars until their death. That is something that I will always safeguard within this country. But this is a mental health issue and a crisis. We've seen mass shootings now come up about 150 to 200 more in the last three years. And we look at the pandemic. And if you go into any hospital right now, Cleveland Clinic, Metro, UH, Akron's Children's, you name it, They will tell you the number one issue that they deal with by people coming in day after day after day is mental illness. And that is a byproduct of what we have done to the people and the American people of this country by giving them Stockholm syndrome, by staying in their homes, telling them it wasn't safe to leave. And now we have to deal with the mess that we created. And that's where we currently are. Max Miller is our guest, Ohio Congressman, District 7, and uh, I appreciate that, and I think those are very, very well-established uh, well points. And I want to ask you one more question this morning, Congressman, and unless there's anything else you want to address about votes that you've uh, taken or have upcoming. But I want to ask you about J6, um, not about the day, because that has been covered, obviously, uh, upside down and, and one, one end to the other. Uh, although I would like to see the uh, 14,000 man hours of video that they say that they have available to see what happened that day. But I and many other activists here in Ohio are very, very concerned, not about the events of that day, but the fact that we are now two years and one month on from that day, and there are still prisoners being held, what many people believe, myself included, are political prisoners, without having their constitutional right to a speedy trial being honored, without having access to their attorneys, without being able to defend themselves, essentially without any due process whatsoever, they continue to rot in conditions, you and I have talked about this briefly in the past, that many describe as worse than Gitmo. So um, I'm asking every congressman I can. I talk to Jim Jordan once a week, and I ask him every time we talk, what's going on to release these prisoners? And I don't mean let them off scot-free for any crimes they may have committed on January 6th, but to get them in front of judges and juries and let them have their day in court, let them have their quote-unquote speedy trial that they've been denied thus far. 
your thoughts on on the uh, treatment of these constituents. Many of them are constituents, people from Ohio. Yeah, and look, we have murderers who are walking the street right now who have already been brought in for bail, and now they're roaming around the state of Ohio and the rest of our country. So I agree with you that these individuals are political prisoners, and there is political intent here. Uh, The conditions are worse than Guantanamo Bay, and what this comes down to is applying the full weight of the legislative branch on the executive branch and and the weight of D.C. Now, in this previous week, we voted on two bills that were going to take back D.C. home rule. So now you see Congress actually doing its job and trying to make the city of D.C. safer in the country. So we are taking some of those things back from the city of D.C. and incorporating them and making that city safer and run as it should. Because right now, the way that it's set up with Mayor Bowser, he may be Mayor Bowser, but D.C. isn't a city. It's not a state. It, it's kind of nothing. It's some, you know, just this area that exists. She's the governor. I mean, that's how she should be looked at. There is no one higher than her in the District of Columbia. And just like her buddy, Joe Biden, he's also weaponized the state of District of Columbia. And I believe every time I go there, it just feels like a weaponized state, an authoritarian state. Joe Biden has weaponized everything in every federal agency, in every federal department that we have. And this is what he's done. So as long as you have individuals with a backbone to continue to apply pressure on the system, really, and Bob, you help educate me here if there's another legal pathway, that, to my knowledge, is the only thing that we can do to continue to expose these people and then through the judiciary and oversight. So Jim Jordan and James Comer, they can bring these people in. They have the legal subpoena power to go ahead, bring them in, ask them the questions, and why haven't these people had a speedy trial? You know, you're, proven, you're innocent until proven guilty. These individuals haven't had that day in court. It's been over two years, and once again, we have murderers walking our streets. In the city of Cleveland, in the state of Ohio, yet, you know, these individuals who have not had their day in court yet continue to rot in unsavory conditions that are absolutely despicable. So um, to follow up, uh, we've uh, asked, when I say we, I'm not part of it officially, but I support it, um, the We the People Convention. And Tom Zawistowski has sent letters to uh, Congressman Jordan since he's, of course, not chair of the Judiciary Committee, asking if there's anything that can be done to call witnesses to com- uh, testify before the committee um, about their treatment. Again, not about the actions of that day. Nobody's talking about holding the trial in front of a congressional committee, but to talk about their treatment that day, uh, even maybe subpoena uh, people who are being held. Or and not even subpoena, but invite them uh, if they're being held to testify. Um, is there anything like that that you can see coming down the line? Is there anything where we can get the answers that we seek from talking to the individuals themselves before congressional committees? I believe so. The biggest uh, part that I struggle with this is that, unfortunately, I'm not judiciary and I'm not on oversight. So Understood. I'm not privy to many of the conversations that are had in the, in the private meetings and during the subcommittee meetings that they have in those committees. But, yes. That is well under their authority, uh, but I haven't been read into anything in their game plan of how they're going to go ahead and move forward. But here's what I do know, Bob. I know that Jim Jordan and James Comer are two bulldogs, and they are not going to stop until they get the answers that they need to hold this administration accountable and to help the January 6th prisoners finally get their day in court with due process. That is why I have faith and trust and confidence that they will execute the way they need to on behalf of the American people. Because we're not talking about two individuals who haven't been tested. We're talking about Jim Jordan, who is the greatest, uh, in my opinion, chair of the Judiciary Committee 
and will continue to hold people accountable, get the answers that he needs. And there is no one more effective in Congress than him to do that. And James Comer, I put in the same light. So those individuals will get the answers of the American people. We will continue to press. And we've already been doing some great things uh, to hold the Biden administration accountable. And the last oversight hearing, when they brought the Twitter execs in, I mean, I was watching it in our office. It, it absolutely blew my mind. They had no idea what JIRA was or how CISA was implicated in all of this. It, it, it really was uh, disturbing to see. And finally, the truth is coming out. Congressman Max Miller, I appreciate those comments. It is very important. And I just, you know, I think what people want to know is that they're not being ignored, the people who are being held. I think people outside want to know that the people who are currently still being held in this, uh, in this political, uh, theater, uh, moment, I guess, uh, that they're not being ignored. They're not being forgotten about. People aren't just letting the days go by and not being concerned. They want to know that their leaders are on the case. And that's the reason I'll keep asking Congressman Jordan every week. I'll ask you and wherever we talk. I'll ask anybody that I can because somebody needs to advocate for these constituents. But, but um, Bob, really quick, citizens. and I don't yes, mean sir. to, and I don't mean to interject, but sure. let's not forget about the January 6th prisoners. Let's not forget about the Afghanistan withdrawal. And let's not forget about the personal freedoms that this president took away from the American people in Ohioans during his administration. Uh, these are things that, you know, we have a short memory. Don't forget what Joe Biden has done to our country, wrecking the economy coming in when inflation was only, I believe, at 1.4, 1.6%. His reckless withdrawal from Afghanistan and a poor southern border killing many migrants who make that dangerous trek and that is sinking our country and spending us to an oblivion, borrowing $5.8 trillion in his two years in office. Do not forget about all of those things because we are coming for him and answers will be given to the American people, hopefully in short time. Well, I'll respectfully respond by saying that unlike the January 6th situation, because we're not in prison with those people, we cannot forget what you just said because we're still suffering the impacts of it. The ramifications are in our lives every single day. So not only have we not that's forgotten true. it, yeah, we're enduring it right now. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking to people like you to help rectify. Uh, Congressman Miller, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, sir. That's Max Miller on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1055, and we will be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway. It's nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Wednesday to you. Appreciate you being with us. It's the 15th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Already had great conversations with Jeff Lauterbach, formerly 
writing for the Ohio Press Network for Jack Windsor. Spoke with Bernie Moreno, who uh, went to the scene in East Palestine to see for himself what was going on. He's got friends out there in Columbiana County, and uh, so he gives a lot of great information. Then, of course, we just uh, finished a terrific chat with Max, Max Miller. And now we come to our regular Wednesday commentator. He joins us each and every Wednesday at this time, and I already gave him an introduction. He's Jack Windsor. He is the uh, founder and the editor of the Ohio Press Network. He is uh, also our State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer. And he is my co-host of the best political and news podcast I think you're going to find in Ohio, and that is Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Jack Windsor, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's always great to be here with you and uh, the Always Right Radio listeners. Thanks for choosing yes, me today. Yes, sir. Good to have you, as always. Um, all right, Jack. Um, there's a lot of ground that I want to cover with you. Um, I want to talk about the way you think Governor Mike DeWine and his Ohio Director or Department of Health Director, Bruce Vanderhoff, are doing with the... Um, toxic train spill or the toxic train derailment and subsequent toxic spill and controlled burn of these very volatile and uh, dangerous chemicals. And I want you to frame this, if you could, through the lens of the way they handled the COVID crisis. I'm reading a lot of people online. Now, Vanderhoff, of course, was, uh, you know, was named uh, to replace uh, Amy Acton, who was the first director of health for, for DeWine, uh, to handle an emergency situation. And we all know how that turned out. But you covered DeWine very, very closely. It's kind of how you really started your, your rise up in terms of um, uh, recognition in Ohio as a, as, a, as a terrific reporter as you covered the um, – uh, the press conferences, the daily press conferences uh, that Mike DeWine held. And um, you were booted from covering those because you were asking too many difficult questions and too many important questions for which he and they had no answers. Many are comparing his behavior and the behavior of Vanderhoff now in being not very forthcoming with information for the people uh, uh, of what's going on in East Palestine to that time. So, through your own observation and your own experiences working with DeWine and working with his people, how do you uh, how do you how do you assess what's happening in East Palestine? Well, I think it's a very difficult situation uh, based on information that we've gathered and reported. Uh, there were two decisions. One was let this thing explode and release shrapnel, you know, over a mile wide. Or excuse me, over you know a mile radius or. Um, you know, let's, let's burn it off. And if those are all, uh, the choices they had, then it, it seems like they did the right thing. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not a chemist. Uh, we, I've got some people on, um, uh, on the burner here that I'll be talking with soon regarding how, how do you, how do you mitigate this, right? It's, it's a water issue. It's an air issue. Um, but, you know, here's my visceral response. I'm going to say two things. First of all, Press Secretary Dan Tierney still doesn't uh, have the respect to timely return emails and, and phone calls that I make to him uh, seeking comment. And I think that's a travesty. Um, you know, be professional. Uh, honor the fact that we are reporters and we have a constitutional right uh, to pursue facts and report the truth to our readers. But so, you know, that still goes on. But when I see Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, um, you know, I said last night, and this is opinion, but I'm, I'm old enough to remember 
him clad in his uh, lab coat and bow tie standing on a track at Thomas Worthington High School saying that the jabs are uh, unquestionably safe and, and very, very effective. So when he is in front of the camera again comparing the fumes uh, there in, in East Palestine to someone standing at a gas pump, um, my BS radar goes off. And, you know, that's my visceral response. I, I don't trust Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff because he's been a puppet for whatever the cause is. So those are my two mitigating factors, I guess, before I even dive in. But I will say Mike DeWine was pretty strong yesterday in a couple of things. He said this is the fault of Norfolk Southern, and they're going to pay for it. And I think a lot of people listening to that said, here, here. And he also said, look, th- these uh, cars were not labeled hazardous material or highly hazardous material. And and that's a no-no. And I think we all agree with that. Uh, and I know that J.D. Vance is, is talking now about uh, investigating how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I guess that's my visceral response. How has it been handled? I don't know, Bob. And I don't think we'll know until we figure out, is this stuff in the air? Is it in the groundwater? And, you know, what's the negative outcome if it is? Yeah, the stuff we're talking about, just to clarify too, the uh, hazardous materials that are uh, that that are known to have been in the carriages uh, of of that train include vinyl chloride, butyl acrylate, ethylexyl acrylate, ethylene glycol, monobutyl ether, and isobutylene. And I may be mispronouncing many or all of those. And if you're a chemist and you do know those, uh, I apologize for that. But for the rest of us, we just need to know that many of these are toxic. And if they get into the air, if they get into the water, or if they get into the soil, uh, they can have impacts on virtually all of the above. Breathing it in for uh, for us, uh, the water supply, of course, being contaminated is an extraordinarily dangerous situation. And if the ground is contaminated, well, all of the you know the grass and. Uh, uh, you know the things that are that our farm animals graze on. Um, you know could potentially contaminate the the food that we eat. Uh, you know again talking about whether it be cows or through their milk or through the you know chickens and so on and so forth. So people have been caught covering this uh, and, and talking about this potential severity of it all, except for the federal government. Pete Buttigieg hasn't been by. Joe Biden hasn't made a statement. He certainly hasn't declared it at a uh, declared it an emergency, and thus uh, made uh, 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 FEMA funds available. Um, why do you think it is that they're putting such a lid on this? Or you know, it's been twelve days now, Jack, and this is still a problem, and and the federal government's not acting. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think they're inept. I think uh, I can never pronounce Mayor Pete's last name, so I'm just going to call him Mayor Pete. You know, Booty Mayor judge. Pete is more. Booty, booty judge, J, booty. It's another way. Something. No, it's 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 booty, it's booty judge. That's, that's booty judge. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. Um, you know, he's he's more concerned about uh, doling out the accusations that we are inherently and structurally racist, and that bleeds over into our you know transportation structures <laughs> and policies. Um, I, I mean, it's a clown show, frankly. Um, in Look, I, I don't know. I, I don't know a good reason why they wouldn't be here right away and going, all right, now now what can we do now? In their defense, you do have you know federal uh, authorities with the EPA. My understanding is they worked hand in glove with the Ohio EPA, and then the governor of Pennsylvania and Governor Mike DeWine were on a phone call together, and you know they were kind of comparing notes and figuring out what to do. And there was some modeling that went on 
um, at the federal level to help them figure out, all right, how are we going to cut these things open and seek this stuff out? So, you know, I think that there was involvement there, but, you know, there should be more conversation around what's going on and calling it what it is. You know, if, if people need security that this is truly a safe place, the EPA claims that hundreds of tests have been performed and that the water and air are in good living condition, well, then the federal government ought to come out and, and be very bold and very loud about that, um, but they're not. And your guess is as good as mine, Bob. Um, there, there is just a train of, um, you know, bad decisions in this administration uh, that continues to pop up every day. So I, I expect that to be the norm, not the exception. Jack Windsor is my guest, the editor and founder of the Ohio Press Network, also co-host of Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. Find that anywhere and everywhere you get podcasts. I'm going to talk about the podcast in a moment, Jack, because of uh, some news that we made uh, earlier this week. But back to back to DeWine and Vanderhoff real quick. You said that DeWine was somewhat strong. I found him to be less than that. Um, you know, he was asked directly by a reporter, would you drink the water in East Palestine right now? And he said, no, I would drink bottled water, which means it's not safe. I don't trust it. Okay, what are you going to do uh, for the people of East Palestine? Palestine and the surrounding areas about that, number one. Number two, he said, as far as breathing, he said, I guess we just have to wait until the tests come back to see exactly what the air quality looks like. I, I, those aren't questions in my mind. In my mind, if right. we don't know the answer as to whether or not the air is safe to breathe, there better be a plan of action by the state of Ohio to deal with that. Uh, and that right. includes and that includes more than just Norfolk Southern giving everybody a thousand dollars to go find accommodation somewhere for an unspecified period of time while they do these right. tests. Uh, as to Vanderhoff, that statement you pointed out, and I pointed out as well, where he just said, eh, it's no different than breathing in the fumes when you're pumping the gas. I don't trust him either. And I don't trust anybody that feels like he has to wear a lab coat to a press conference to prove he's a doctor. Uh, that, yeah. that, Acton did that for the entire period of time we were going through that nonsense. I never see it anywhere else, anywhere else that there are physicians who are medical experts who are coming on as health directors or anything else. I never see them doing that except here in Ohio. Acton did it. Van, I'm looking at the picture right now. There he is standing there. It's as if to say my own language and what I'm about to say to you won't convince you that I'm a physician. So, look, here's the lab coat. Here's proof I'm actually a doctor. I mean, Dr. Ben Carson was a neurosurgeon. I never saw him show up to press conferences in scrubs. Say, look at me, I'm a surgeon, just so you know. I mean, if you are what you, you know, what you are, you ought to be able to present yourself as such without uh, trying to put on your costume. So it just drives me nuts. I don't trust any of these guys with our health. Last thought on that? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I'm with you. You know, you and I had a chance to, to interview on our podcast a renowned cardiologist in Ohio. And, you know, he didn't come onto the show and, and talk about, um, you know, all of his medals and all of his accolades. <laughs> I mean, you know, we certainly pointed those out to say, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. But, uh, you know, and he was very humble, right? He said, look, I, he, here's what I say. I say that this needs to be looked into this way, and this could be a possible outcome, but we need to consider these things. Uh, Vanderhoff doesn't often do that. Vanderhoff has a position, and he states it uh, with his bow tie and his lab coat because, you know, and he, he kind of puts off the vibe to me uh, of uh, the science there at the federal level, right? Those two are like uh, left hand, right hand to me. Don't question them because they are just unquestionably right. And, and intelligent. And, uh, and I just think it's a shame because public health has done a lot of good in this world. But I think the steps backwards in the past three years, uh, I, I mean, it's taken us back decades. And guys like that are to blame in my book.
Yeah, I completely agree. Jack, let's talk about the podcast, and I mentioned making some news. We had a, a podcast on Monday that we did in which we had uh, State Representative Ron Ferguson and State Representative Bill Seitz on to talk about the direction of the Ohio uh, House and uh, the conservative legislation that we all were expecting would be passed without objection with a 67-member supermajority granted to the and gifted to the uh, House by uh, by Ohio voters and Ohio Republican voters, to be precise, and we all know the story since then about the uh, about the uh, the steal of twenty three, I think you call it, and the coup of twenty two. So Bill Sykes was part of that coup, and we had him on. And I wanted to just give you a chance to kind of tell everybody some of the highlights or lowlights of uh, what Bill Sykes had to say in this oftentimes confrontational interview. Not between Sites and Ferguson, but between Sites and you and me, because um, we're asking questions that a lot of people won't ask, and they can't get an opportunity to ask of Bill Sites. You want to tell us what what uh, your your uh, give me give us a summary of that? Yeah, well, kudos to you, Bob. You got him to yell at you, which I thought was super fantastic. Oh, better um, than that, I got him to blame me for all of the dis- discord in the high house. Yes, and <laughs> he that literally was, said it's for you. It's because of you. He literally said me, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you got him to clarify that, that, okay, not necessarily just me, but, um, but it sure sounded that way. Go ahead. Yeah. No. So I, if I were to boil it down, what I think I heard Bill Seitz say is that he's been in uh, the legislature for, for over two decades, and, and we just really don't understand how it works. Um, you know, what, what happened with Larry Householder with the Democrats voted for him, and we seem to be fine with that. And so when Democrats voted for Jason Stevens, we should be okay with that, too. Now, we did point out that uh, Larry Householder didn't get approval in the caucus, and Bill Seitz wanted to argue about that. I wasn't in that caucus vote, but I have tons of lawmakers who are saying, no, Bill Seitz is wrong. Uh, but then the hard question that we asked that he didn't really answer is, um, okay, so you know, Larry Householder is innocent until proven guilty, but he's um, you know, under federal indictment right now. Is that the look of the party? Is is that the comparison that we want to make here? Um, and so it, it appears um, that uh, Sites and others believe that Jason Stevens will uh, deliver on promises to create and debate and pass conservative legislation. Now, I need to fall on my sword here and say that I opted to do this today instead of being at the uh, 11 o'clock press conference, and I made the right choice, uh, where Stevens was going to unveil his legislative priorities uh, for 2023, 135th 35th General Assembly. So I will get notes on that, and we can cuss it and discuss it later, but my understanding is he released <laughs> uh, those priorities today, and I'm eager to see what they are. Uh, yeah, I am too. And by the way, that's well said because we will indeed cuss it and discuss it. There's no question about that. Um, but, but back to sites. One other thing I thought was very important, uh, and you called him out on this. Um, he said that dark money coming in, uh, was driving legis- uh, le- the legislation and he wants to rid, uh, the Ohio General Assembly of the dark money coming in and, and having such an impact. And you asked a very, very important question. Um, and what is dark money? From whom are you talking about? And is union money, a lot of it, that comes in to fund people like Bill Seitz and his campaign, uh, does that count as dark money? Give us a just quick once-over. Yeah, so he essentially said, no, those are different things. Um, I'm not sure that they are. Keep in mind, uh, government unions, teachers' unions, um, you know, municipal unions, uh, those are tax dollars. Those are, those are your dollars and my dollars that go to pay employees, and then these unions pluck contributions from their paychecks. And there, by the way, are lawsuits right now in Ohio where 
employees are going, hey, I told you not to take that from my paycheck. The Supreme Court said I could tell you not to do that, and you're continuing to do it, and you're breaking the law. So, um, And then that money obviously goes into a big pot, and the unions do with it what they want. I think the impression was that unions uh, you know, get the people on the left side of the aisle into office and help them ramrod their agendas, but now it looks like the 22 House Republicans who supported Stevens have collected more than, uh, I'm say, close to $350,000 from government unions since 2017. Now, Bill Seitz argued with me and said, well, that's because me and, and um, Jay Edwards have been in, you know, been in the House longer than some of these newbies. Uh, well, then let's look at 2020, 2021, and 2022, and at the top of the list, it's still Jay Edwards, <laughs> Bill Seitz, and Don Jones, all who voted for Jason Stevens. Yep, very well said. And uh, we exposed uh, very clearly, I think, some of the agenda there, too, when we talk about leadership <clears throat> that was given to the 22, uh, 21 others uh, who supported Jason Stevens, who makes number 22, of course, in that group or in that coup or in that gang. Uh, and then obviously uh, partnering with Democrats uh, to outnumber the actual number of conservative Republicans who kept their word is a huge issue. We're going to stay on. Uh, we're going to work to get, get uh, Jason Stevens on as well, Jay Cross, uh, or excuse me, Jay Edwards, uh, John Cross, and as many others as as we can uh, to really try to uh, hold them accountable for what they are doing in this 135th General Assembly. Jack Windsor, terrific stuff as always, my friend. Keep up the great work with the Ohio Press Network. Thanks, Bob. 1127, we'll take our final time out right here on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare simple. Okay, it is um, 11.37 now. Great conversations all the way around with guests this morning. I hope you uh, got something out of those and found those valuable. I want to respond, or not respond, but reiterate, I guess, what you just heard there again from Scott Wilder. Uh, That banner is staying up, and it's going to stay up the rest of this month, and I need you to help us hit that goal. Babies need you to help us hit that goal. And quite literally, go to uh, whkradio.com if you could and if you would. Click the banner that you see at the top of the page. Um, it says, Ultrasounds Prevent Abortions. The pre-born logo is kind of in the lower right-hand corner. It's hard to see. So if you go on there hunting for pre-born, you could miss it. So I just want to tell you, it's, it says in the uh, big bold letters on the top, Ultrasounds Prevent Abortion. And that's also the fact of the matter. So uh, save a baby. With $28, save a baby by calling that phone number uh, that we give you all of the time. It's 833-850-BABY, or just go on the page that I told you about. Save a baby for $28. Save five babies for $140. Over 85% of the women who see their babies in ultrasound save their, their babies' lives. They deliver their babies. They give birth. They don't choose to kill the baby that's growing inside of them. So it's just that simple. You either believe in saving babies or you don't. If you have $28 of disposable income or $28 that you are putting aside for something that's very, very important, I don't know what's more important than saving a life, if you can do it. Uh, there you have it. Go to whkradio.com, whkradio.com. So I want to hit this real quick. Do you remember, <clears throat> um, it was last year, I want to say springtime-ish maybe, we were discussing and talking with uh, uh, a mom of a child uh, in Cleveland who was trying to get a kidney transplant. Um, needed a tr- kidney transplant, and dad was a perfect match. 
dad was ready to donate his kidney to save his nine-year-old boy's son. Remember this? Or excuse me, not even, his nine-year-old son, beg your pardon. And we talked to mom, and mom talked to us about how the Cleveland Clinic would not perform that transplant. Even though it was a perfect match, that nine-year-old boy didn't get the life-saving transplant he needed because dad was not vaccinated. He refused the poison dart for obvious reasons, as so many others have, and so many others now, I believe, wish they had. He refused to take that jab, and so Cleveland Clinic wouldn't save his son's life with that necessary kidney transplant. Apparently, this is not a, a an unusual phenomenon. Apparently, this is happening in places all over the country. James Julian Day, a U.S. Army veteran, was denied a lung transplant because he declined to get the jab. You know, the jab that might actually cause blood clots in his lungs. Because it's happening... Those clots are happening in a lot of people who have taken those darts in their lungs. D.J. Ferguson, a 31-year-old, was removed in 2022 from a heart transplant waiting list by Brigham and Women's Hospital because he didn't want to take the jab. You know, the jab that can actually damage a heart. Another Cleveland Clinic instance in 2021, a man could not receive a kidney because the donor was unvaccinated. Ross Barranco, a 73-year-old Michigan man, among those who have uh, brought litigation over being rejected for a transplant because they refused to take an experimental gene therapy, spike protein-wielding, DNA-altering drug for which the company that created it has complete immunity from prosecution. They can't be held accountable for it. Now, why am I bringing these up now? Because today we learn of a new bill that's being introduced in the United States Senate by Senator Rand Paul. And Senator Rand Paul is introducing this bill that would ban any federal funds from going to institutions like Cleveland Clinic that deny care to patients for not having their dangerous, questionable, potentially deadly poison darts in the form of a COVID-19 non-vaccine. Two-page bill states no funds authorized or appropriated by the federal law by federal law, and none of the funds in any way trust fund. I'm sorry, none of the funds in any trust fund to which funds are authorized or approved by federal law shall be made available to a facility that refuses to provide treatment to an individual based on a COVID-19 vaccine status. The legislation is called the COVID-19 vaccine, or excuse me, Vaccination Non-Discrimination Act. No American should be denied access to critical care based on a personal medical decision. Yet, tragically, many hospitals and other medical facilities continue to discriminate against those unvaccinated for COVID-19, said Senator Paul, a doctor who co-sponsored the legislation. He said this bill will protect the rights of vulnerable patients to make their own health care choices and to ensure that federal taxpayer dollars do not support facilities that turn away patients based on their COVID-19 vaccine vaccine status. And all I can say to that is... Can you dig it? It's about time. That's what I can say. It's about time that somebody in government actually looks out for the people who have been harmed. People, you know, it's one thing for them to say, hey, 
Um, we no longer have the, you know, the um, uh, federal mandate that everybody who works for the federal government or for a contractor that makes money from the government and on down the line has to have their vaccine or you know, have that shot, I should say. I've got to stop using that word. Have that shot or they lose their jobs. Say, okay, well, now they can have their jobs back. They're not even doing that, by the way. But it's one thing to say, well, lift the mandate. Now you don't have to take the jab or lose your job. But we're talking about life-saving. Nobody has talked about this. We're talking about life-saving surgeries being denied people because they won't take something that could kill them, that could cause one of the died-suddenly events that we are watching happen all over this country. So uh, thank you, Senator Rand Paul. Thank you. I talked earlier on in the show about how I do not trust the federal government, nor do I trust the state government with matters of our health, and I do not. But I will say this, when a physician who happens to sit in the United United States Senate passes a bill that actually ensures we will be treated without discrimination when it comes to our health, I will salute that. So thank you to Senator Rand Paul. All right, that's all the time I've got for you this morning. Thank you to my guests. We talked to Bernie Moreno, unexpected. We talked to uh, Max Miller. That one was expected. We talked to uh, Jeff Lauderback, and we talked to Jack Windsor. Thanks to them. Thanks to my team, and thanks to you for listening. Certainly appreciate it. Dr. Everett Piper is with us tomorrow. Looking forward to that one, and I'm sure you will be as well. So until then, be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.